Well, it's lovely to be with you. I feel I haven't, it's not been that long since I was here with you last anyway. So, hey, this is rather nice for me. Okay, we're looking at the topic of the power of agreement this morning. And I really want to focus just on uh, two verses from Matthew. And I'm going to read three versions. Sandy, hello. I just noticed Sandy. Okay, I think this is quite an important topic. Uh, But I have got three versions here up on the screen, and I will read them out to you. This one is from the New American Standard Bible, which is my Bible of choice. Um, And it says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. And I very specifically highlighted the word earth and heaven because, as you see, They are very closely connected because whatever goes on on earth goes on in heaven. And I've highlighted the word where two of you agree because we're looking at the power of agreement. And I've particularly highlighted heaven there. And so those are the... Those are the concepts that we're going to consider this morning. Um, I've got another version coming up. This is the message, which I'll read. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure I'll be there. That's quite exciting, isn't it? And um, if you'll excuse the liberty, I have one other version, which is my version. (laughs) Truly, I say to you, and I've, I've, I've written my own version partly because there are things I want to highlight. Truly, I say to you, whatever you don't allow on earth won't be allowed in the heavenly realms. Now, I have specifically written heavenly realms because it's a word that Paul uses. Uh, It's epi-uranos, but in the original that we read before, it was uranos. But the reason I've changed it to heavenly realms is because sometimes we think heaven is somewhere else. Whereas a heavenly realm is easier to comprehend as a little bit closer. So, uh, and I have, and, I, and it is a Pauline word, so I don't feel completely wrong doing that. And whatever you permit on earth shall have an impact in the heavenly realms. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree are in harmony, now this is really important. See the word harmony? It's symphone sosin. Is there a word that comes from that? Symphony. So this agreement is not contractual. It's a symphony. It's 
quite different. It's not, if you do this, I'll do this. It's saying, when we are in harmony, in symphony with each other, on earth about a matter that you pray about, it will be done for you for your, by your Father who is in heaven. That's the, the other word. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am among you. Okay? So, I just wanted to start off by considering where is heaven at this moment in time? Where is heaven? Because earth and heaven are terribly close, or at least what we do on earth has a huge impact on heaven. And we are told, we're told that Jesus went up into heaven. We're told that he is seated at the right hand in heaven, and he's praying for us in heaven. But we're also told by Paul that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So here and now, we have, I mean, if it's, you know, pie in the sky when you die, we will probably not much to talk about. We'll find it out all completely. But now we have every blessing in the heavenly places. Furthermore, in that same heavenly realm, we are told in the same passage in Ephesians that there are actually some darker spiritual forces going on. We're told that there are principalities and powers and rulers and dominions in this heavenly realm. And furthermore, we're told that that heavenly realm is something that impacts us because we're said to put on the whole armor of God here on earth because something is impacting you here on earth from the heavenly realms. So put on the helmet of salvation, put on the breastplate of righteousness, go out shod with the gospel of peace because something is very close here amongst us. And the Holy Spirit is within us. So what do you reckon in this room? Do you not reckon the heavenly realms might be just at hand? Because we are told the kingdom, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's there. I may not see it. I don't know what spiritual forces are moving around this room, but I reckon the biblical narrative tells me that there are. The spiritual world is at hand. It is within you. It is around you. We do not need to be afraid of it. It both is good and it is bad. And it impacts us all the time. And we're told that the enemy walks around like a roaming lion, and he accuses us. So that's going on also. So to start off with, in our idea of prayer, I want us to begin with a thoroughly biblical worldview. Because remember, folks, we live in a materialistic worldview. And what that says, I mean, it's I'm a maths teacher, so I don't mind science and rationality. 
But when we say that there is nothing but the material world, we or there is very little, firstly for me, it doesn't adequately explain my experience of life. Secondly, it is not the biblical worldview. So, in this concept of prayer and the power of agreement, we're going to start by the knowledge that we are standing very close to a spiritual realm. We are in it, but not completely. It is there around us, and the Holy Spirit is there with us, working with us. And that's a reality. That's not a theoretical This is not a piece of pure maths. There is a difference. This is lived reality. Secondly, in that passage we read, it said, um, actually, Tom, could we have the the final, the the last slide up? Um, Yeah. It says that where two or three, oh, oh, no, this last bit, when you gather... Where two of you gather in my name, okay? In my name. This is also important for prayer. So what does it mean to gather in someone's name? Well, the only example I can really think of is people who are ambassadors. They pitch up in someone else's name, don't they? They have rights and responsibilities. They are able to speak in someone else's name. So in this prayer that we're doing, we're also doing it in someone else's name. And one example is if you were the CEO of a successful little company, for instance, you could pitch up at the bank or turn up at the bank and you could ask for a loan. And you could ask for a loan much bigger than is you would get if you showed them your personal bank account. So you have access in someone else's name or the name of your company to resources that you do not have access in your own right. That too is a really important thing for us to understand in this whole idea of prayer. So approaching prayer, we are approaching it not based on Shunu's bank account. Believe me, you wouldn't get much, even spiritually, in any way. So I'm not approaching prayer based on who I am. And so we've got two things. The spiritual realm is very close. Secondly, we are ambassadors. We are coming in someone else's name. The third thing, and I love this, this word, symphonosin, agreement. It's really important we understand this is not a contractual agreement. This is not saying to a child, we will go to Thorpe Park if you are good. It's saying, we're going to Thorpe Park. And I'll deal with your bad behavior separately. It is different And it's only a tiny flick of a switch difference in our minds, but it makes the world of difference to how we approach prayer. It makes the world of difference to how we approach God. It's hugely important. And so the concept of agreement, symphony, for instance, 
the reality is when a bunch of people play a beautiful piece, if you took all the small parts, the final result has an almost spiritual element to it that is bigger than all the small parts. The Millennium Bridge, when it was first opened, had to be closed two days afterwards because what was happening was that when they made it, it had a slight wobble in it. And what people were doing is they were starting to walk in time to the wobble. And what happened was a sort of sideways resonant frequency set up because everyone was walking in time to the wobble. The agreement of walking in step had a power far bigger than each person just doing their paces. And this morning, the whole of life runs on agreement. You agreed to turn up to Forest Hill Church at 10.30, possibly. And, um, but that was based on agreement. If you brought your children here without having to physically drag them, they at one level came on the basis of agreement. Absolutely everything we do with more than one person is based one way or other on the power of agreement. It is a massively important concept. When I was a teaching some younger children, I remember that I'm a maths teacher. And I remember that I'd get kids and they would say, they're hopeless at maths. And I noticed that once one teacher had said it, another teacher joined in. And then slowly, bit by bit by bit, the story became, they are hopeless at maths. And that child then seemed to underperform. And I watched this power of agreement having a negative effect. And it required someone to step out of step and say, no, they're good. And this concept of agreement is very powerful. And we need to bear it in mind. Because in a playground scenario, if it's not difficult to imagine. Workplaces, playgrounds... What we agree with, with others as we speak, has a spiritual power. It creates something beyond the words. And we often don't realize we have that power. But if you think about it, almost any situation you encounter in life, you've seen it at work. And it's a very powerful concept. And it's brought up in this passage Okay, so how then do we experience this power of agreement? So I want to turn it now into something more practical. I was asking God this question, but I wasn't just asking God this question. This is on my way back from Food Bank. I, I, I help, I, well, Gary runs Food Bank. I pitch up sometimes. And um, I was walking back from Food Bank, and I was, you know, I don't know if any of you have experienced those downward spiral days where you start thinking and reflecting on your life and thinking, well, I didn't really ever achieve much and didn't, that didn't work out well and 
that bit wasn't very good and oh you start going into this loop and you just keep going into this loop and you can't get out of the loop and you keep spiraling in the loop of everything was bad and a dark cloud and it felt felt physically like a dark cloud had descended on me and I didn't know how to break out of this spiral loop and um And then suddenly I thought, do you know what? I think I am harmonizing with a very bad narrative here. A narrative that might have some truth in it, but it's not going to get me anywhere, is it? And suddenly I remembered something that I'd heard someone say. And they said, you know, when you get into those situations where you feel actually a certain amount of guilt and failure and shame, we have the accuser, who is the accuser of the brethren, who's helping us with that narrative. You know, he may not be able to read our minds, but he can put words, thoughts in our head. That's what it says. What you do is this. You turn around and you say, thank you very much, Satan, for reminding me of that. That's very helpful. I know it's true, but, and this is the but. The but is that I turn away from that narrative and I start to harmonize with a different narrative. Now, I want us to just look at two things about what is that other narrative that we are asked to harmonize with. And I'm going to do that by... I'm going to show you a picture to start off with. Oh, it's a bit... Who knows what that is? It's the Ark of the Covenant. There we go. That's the Ark of the Covenant. What's inside the Ark of the Covenant? So the Ten Commandments. And what's that on top of the Ark of the Covenant? Sorry? It's the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the mercy seat are two cherubim who are looking down on the mercy seat. Now, inside the box is the narrative, really, of my downward spiral. It is God's morality, and I do not do well in relation to it. It sits there, Inside the box, it is the school teacher that Paul talks about in Romans who tells me that I have fallen short, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's inside the box, but on top of the box is the mercy seat. It's over that. It's not supplementing. It's sitting on top of it. And it's the place where the blood was sprinkled once a year for all the sins you did not even know you were doing. Once a year, the high priest went in. And for all those things you had no idea, because the ones you had idea about, you could repent of.